As we're just about finished in our study in Colossians, we're going to be looking this evening at chapter 3, verses 22 through the end of the chapter and to the first verse of chapter 4. And then in a few weeks to come, we will be finishing off chapter 4 and this book, Paul's letter to the Colossians. But if you would begin now with me by paying attention to the reading of God's holy inerrant word. It is completely sufficient and authoritative. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. In heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use this, your word, to prompt us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to change us into his image. That by the power of your spirit, O Lord, you would equip us down this journey that we are going toward the celestial city. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I suppose I should have expected it at an evening service that there would be children, there would be young people. But even in spite of the fact that there are young people here among us, I am going to dare to use a four-letter word, a word that is harsh and ugly to many Americans. A word that sets us on edge. That word is work. We don't think much of work, do we? We think it is just something that we have to do, something that we have to get by. You know the saying, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Only doing that because... We owe money. Or we think, well, we have to do this because we need certain things to make our lives better. Or we work for vacations so that we can spend money and do things. But work itself doesn't really have a value in many of our eyes. And the way we view work is, I think, perhaps amongst all of the things that involve our life, the most circumstantial. That is, we view work very highly dependent upon whether we have, quote, a good job and a good boss or not. It's as if the nature of the thing itself is affected by our circumstances. Many of us even think of work as part of the curse of the fall. But it's actually clear that Adam was given the garden to work it and to till it. And the curse is the futility in work. The bad attitudes about work. 
not work itself. Dare I say, those of you who think that you will be free from work forever, that there will be work in heaven. The word work is closely related to the word worship. So what does it mean to think about our work in a biblical fashion? Paul is being, once again, very practical here and is setting forth for us about the ways in which we are to think about work. And what I would like this evening is very briefly to look at three aspects of work that Paul commands us. The first is he has a command regarding our attitude, the attitude of our work. The second is he has a command related to the actions of our work. And the third thing is he gives us encouragement about the equality of our work. The attitude, the actions, and the equality. Let's then begin by looking at the attitude of our work. And Paul begins by talking about the relationships that we have in work. He starts... Slaves, perhaps some of your translations have servants or bond servants. It's all the same word. And so what he is applying here is applying in the context of this day and age, of the time this letter is written, to those who are indentured servants or slaves of another. But he has to begin changing how they view themselves because... All of this begins with a knowledge of their relationship, our relationship in Christ. Because being in Christ is to know that we are changed. And to know that the reality of the world itself is changed. We view the world through different lenses, don't we? And so what Paul is going to do is to set forth the practical reality of chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now one of the things that I absolutely love about the Apostle Paul is he does not just simply make dogmatic philosophical statements and leave them for us to figure it out. What does it mean, Paul, that there's no free, there's no slave? What do you mean? Christ is all and in all. What Paul means is, now that you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that affects not just your religious part of your life, not just the family part of your life, not just the church part of your life, but it affects every part of your life, including your work. How we interact with others, how we see work itself is affected by our relationship with Christ. And so he begins by speaking to slaves. And we must understand a few things here. The first is that slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than what we might picture American slavery being like. It was not exactly like a situation of being an employee, but it was somewhere in between. Slaves had certain rights. They could own certain types of property. Some slaves could actually be quite powerful and wealthy. In the empire at this time, oftentimes in the bureaucracy at the highest levels, if you would think of, for example, the director of a government agency, 
or the head of the IRS might be a slave, a servant of the emperor. He wouldn't have all freedom, but he certainly would have more liberty that way than the average poverty-stricken Roman. But yet at the same time, we have to understand that this is not a nice institution. You would not want to be a slave. When you quizzed children, they might say, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a soldier. No one would say, I want to be a slave. You wouldn't want that. And so here we have what is essentially an absolutely groundbreaking thing happening. And it happens actually in the first word of verse 22. Don't miss it. Paul is writing a letter to the church to be read publicly in the church and to be obeyed. And who is he speaking to? Slaves. They're expected to be in. They're expected to be a part of the fellowship. They're expected to be a part of whom we call brothers and sisters. This is earth-shattering. This is revolutionary of a sort. Paul is explaining how being in Christ changes the entirety of the world from the inside out. I think there's also application here to us. We may sometimes feel like slaves to big corporate America or the man or mom or dad. But in reality, we all have roles to fill and duties to perform. Chores, tasks. The reality is you still have a job to do. Just as these slaves did. The fact that they were in Christ did not transport them out from their circumstances off to flowery beds of ease. No. They still had to get up and go to work in the morning. So do you. Having the Lord provide does not mean that the Lord sends via the postman a check every week to your mailbox. You still need to get up, put your pants on, put your coat on, go off to the office, go off to work, go off to the factory and work hard. That's how the Lord provides. And what Paul is saying here to you and to me is that we must have the proper attitude in our work. And he begins here by saying something that we could all, I dare say, use as advice. He tells us that we are to avoid externalities. That is to avoid merely doing something that can be seen. Now this is as applicable to the 8, 9, 10-year-old in the home as it is to the CEO in the office. You see, Paul says that we are to obey in everything those who are our earthly masters. Those who are our masters after the flesh, Paul says. The, the sub-masters. They're not the ultimate authority, but they are an authority in our life. And we are to obey and not to pick and to choose. As Americans, we like that, don't we? We like all of life to be like one big Chinese menu. I'll take one from column A, two from column B, and one from column C. Mix them up together. And maybe I'll share some of yours. But that's not how life works, is it? We all have things that we like about our job, like about our work. And then there's some things that we tend to put off a day or two or a week. Because we really, oh, that could take care of itself. We really don't want to do it. 
You see, Paul says we are to obey in all things and to do it in a fashion that is not eye service. Now, what is eye service? Is this some kind of new old optometry? No. What it is, is it is doing work for appearance only. Very easy to explain. It's doing work only when the boss is watching. I I still recall, some of you know this story, it's a good one. When I was in college and I was working during the summer in my father's office outside Detroit, he he was helping me out, giving me a job, and and he was the the, uh, person in charge of the office, the vice president in charge of the office. And I was the messenger boy. I drove, <coughs> I drove the company station wagon, the nice company blue Ford station wagon. Can't get better than that. From one office to the other office, delivering boxes of papers and, and immediate packages. And I had this experience, not once, but more than once, where I would come in from a run, park the car, and go into the mail room where I would get things. And I would walk into the mail room, and all of a sudden there'd be a flurry of activity. People would be shuffling papers. People would be stamping things. People would be moving things around. It became obvious to me that I looked just a little bit like my dad. And they thought dad was in the mail room. And I knew this because after a minute or two they recognized it was me and then they went back to whatever they were doing. But you see, that's not how we're to work. Only concerned that the boss is watching. But there's another way to do eye service, isn't there? And that's the kind of work that says, hey, look at me. Look at how hard I'm working. Look at me, how important I am. It's working to get attention. And you see, Paul says that's not the way that you work. Because ultimately, you're not working for people. You're working for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says you shouldn't be trying to be a people pleaser. That is working just merely to make an impression upon others. Now, this is a temptation, isn't it? We want others to like us. We want others to reward us. We want to go up the scale of the employment ladder. But Paul says that you need to trust that as you work for the Lord, the Lord will bless you, even as we saw this morning with Jacob. We ought not to be trying to trick others or manipulate others in our work. Our work should be satisfying to ourselves, knowing that we're working for the Lord. We should be working with sincerity, Paul says. And by that, he means honesty and singleness of mind. As you work, there should be a moral honesty about what you do. Now, I don't mean just not stealing. I mean there should be no reservations about how you work. So, young people, when mom asks you to help around the house, there should be a singleness of purpose that you have in the work because you're not trying to please mom. You're not trying to avoid dad's punishment when he gets home. You're working for the Lord to show the Lord that you care for the circumstances he's placed you in, for the parents that he has given you. So this is applicable not just in the pay-in world. It's applicable everywhere. That's the attitude we should have. But it's not just about what we think or how we act toward our work. There's also the actions of our work that are important as well. 
Look at verse 23 with me. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This is something that I dare say we could use more of and learn in a better fashion in America today. Hard work is good. Working hard is something that we are called to biblically. Do you notice what Paul says? Whatever you do, not just the easy things, not just the things you enjoy, whatever you do, do it heartily. And the language here is actually very vivid. It has the idea of saying, whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're in the midst of now, do it heartily. Don't wait for something better to come along. Work now heartily for the Lord. Actually, the language in terms of being heartily, we are to work from the soul. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to have certain radio stations playing on in the background? No. What it means is, just as we understand that the Lord is the one who owns our soul, that is something the employer cannot have, we are to work from that fountain from what God has provided, from what God has blessed. And we are to work out from the Lord to our employment situation. We are to work as for the Lord, Paul says. What is your focus when you work? You see, Paul has an interesting dynamic here. He says, you are free in Jesus Christ. You have been rescued by Christ. You don't serve men anymore. You are free. And as a result of that, you can do everything that you're asked. Wait, what? If we're free, that means we live a life of ease and we don't have to do anything. And Paul says, no, no, no. No. You are now free to obey because you're obeying Christ and not the boss. It's not dependent on his attitude, on his sins, on his actions. No, you are acting for the Lord. And he makes it very concrete for us. He says that we are to do everything heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And we are to do this fearing the Lord. There is a proper fear of the Lord. It's a fear of displeasing him. And that proper fear sets us free from all of the other fears. Will I have enough money? Will I get fired? Will bad things happen to me? We simply follow the Lord and fear Him. And what it does is what Paul is so wonderful at doing. It strips all of our excuses away from us. It's not about you. It's about God. Every task that you are now given is a part of God's design for your life. So do it heartily. Everything that you are given in work is made to fit you for glory. Have you thought about work that way? Have you thought about miserable jobs that way? That part of the reason that you are laboring under a miserable job is God is using that to sand off the edges of your sin selfishness, bad character, to make you more fit for glory. The actions of our work matter. The last thing that we see here is that there is an equality of our work that we see and we are encouraged by. Paul says that we work with a reward in view. 
Look at verse 24. We are to work heartily knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. We act in the present because we know something. We already know from the past that something is true. And that is that we will have a reward. And not just any old reward. Have you ever gotten that? Someone said to you, you know, if you do this for me, I'll give you something for it. I'll give you a reward. And then you get it and you're like, what was this? If I'd have known this is what you're going to give me, I never would have done it. And then sometimes they say, exactly. But that's not what this kind of reward is. It's not a half-hearted little trinket. No, the reward is the inheritance. You see, the reward that we get is not a raise. It is not a higher position. It is not more direct reports. It is not a more efficient company or household. The reward we get is the inheritance in Jesus Christ. Who wouldn't work for that? And the best news of all is that that reward cannot be lost by how well you work or not. That inheritance is safe and secure in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we work as those who are moving toward the prize, knowing that it is safe and secure in the Lord. And that makes us among the best workers anyone could ever desire. Companies, nations, businesses should long to have Christians as workers, knowing that they will work hard and heartily as unto the Lord. And we know that this is true and right because the one who gives the reward is just. Look with me. At verse 25, the one we serve is the Lord Christ Himself who shows no partiality. He will also reward the wrongdoer for his wrongdoing. You see, the Lord is just and equitable. And then Paul finishes this passage. As I studied it, I could not Understand for the life of me why chapter 4 started in verse 1 and not verse 2. Because verse 1 is so much a part of this passage. Actually, verse 25 says the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And it's unclear whether he's talking about the wrongdoing worker or the wrongdoing employer, the slave or the master. Who is it? Which one? The answer, I think, is yes. It is both. You see, there is a reciprocity about this work. The Bible does not just teach, sit there and take it, no matter what the world dishes out. The Bible teaches that God is just and true and right. And the same standards that He holds the worker to, He will hold the master to. Do you see this in verse 1? Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, this is an absolutely revolutionary concept. It's extraordinary. Slaves would have no rights of this sort at this time. Now, imagine for, your, for a moment that you are in the place of a master and you begin treating your slaves justly, fairly, equitably. Do you know what's going to happen? You're going to be very unpopular. 
your fellow masters are going to come down and start complaining to you. Hey, Titus, my slave, tells me that your guys get a 15-minute break every day. I don't give my guys breaks. What are you trying to do, make me look bad? He says you actually feed them real food. What are you trying to do to me? You trying to break the whole industry we're setting up? You see, it wouldn't make you a very popular person. And this is also true, I think, as we translate it into our lives. As we are at work and we treat those who are in a lower station as we are with respect, with dignity, with equality. You see, sometimes that doesn't make us popular with our peers, but it is the right thing to do, Paul says. Why? Because you have a master in heaven, Paul says. You are not the captain of your own fate. You are not in control. Jesus is. So, in conclusion, what is Paul's focus here? Well, I think it's two things. The first is that Paul is focused on the present and not on the future here. He is addressing the church, not the leaders of a nation. And he is not trying here to solve all of the world's problems. I think many people long for and desire between chapter 3 and chapter 4 for Paul to have a 150-page treatise on the evils of slavery at all times. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's not intending to do it. He's addressing individuals who need to follow Jesus. The second thing that we notice here is that Paul is actually more concerned about relationships that both servants, slaves, and masters, employers, have with God than with each other. Do you notice that? Each of them are to act in a certain way with respect to God. Not because the other person will find it nice. But the irony here is that by starting with our relationship with the Lord we are drawn into looking to the rights, responsibilities, and rewards of others. So the servant who's working for the Lord begins to think in terms of, I don't want to rob my master of my work. I don't want to be lazy. And the master begins then to think of the needs of his servants. This is true in all relationships. We've seen it in the family. Now we see it in the workplace. That as we cultivate and work on our relationship with the Lord, our relationships with each other are inevitably brought into line. Because you see, we were meant first to relate to God. And that relationship then brings us closer together. Real change can happen in the world. It can happen in Colossae, it can happen in Rome, it can even happen here and now. And real change begins not with a rally, not with a law, not with legislation. Real change begins with you from the inside out. As the Lord changes your heart, you impact others. And God begins to do a work beyond what we would ever imagine. Sometimes, the work that he intends for us in building his kingdom is simply to work. To work hard. To work with a proper attitude. To work unto him. Let's pray.